All right, read with me here, Matthew three, thirteen. Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you, and you, do you come to me? But Jesus answering said to him, Permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him. And after being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting upon him. And behold, the voice out of heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. You know, uh, back in the day, when I was a kid, when I had energy and hair and all those things, I used to, uh, I used to like TV show. I had a special affinity for the TV shows that had, that featured, I don't know whether I to call them regular people because they weren't regular, non-famous people. How about that? Um, that had really weird talents or would do dangerous things. If you're, you know, in your 40s or older, you might remember Real People was one of those shows. Anybody remember Real People? Or you, this one you've at least heard of probably. Uh, Ripley's Believe It or Not, that was one. And my personal favorite was one called That's Incredible. If you remember, That's Incredible. That was my show. And I remember they'd have... Like they brought this guy out one time and there was this like one foot cube square clear plastic box and this dude folded himself up inside this box and closed the lid. And I got a kick out of that. I have no idea why. Um, or they would have, they'd have sword swallowers on there, right? So this guy jams a sword down his gullet, you know, I thought, oh, that's cool. Uh, or they'd have somebody ripping off evil Knievel and he'd jump over his, his dirt bike over some fountains or something. And for the kids at home, before anybody did any of these dangerous things, they had a message they would put across the screen. You know what that message is. What did it say? Don't try this at home. And even as a kid, that just killed me. That just murdered me. I just thought it was so funny. Like, I don't have a clear plastic one-foot box, nor would I try, you know, I was wondering who is the kid who is at home with the sword, right? He got grandpa's sword down off the, off the mantle, and he's going to jam this thing between his tonsils, you know, through it past his larynx. And then they say, don't try this at home. Oh, oh, okay, you don't want me to try this at home. So I'll, I'll put it back. Uh, well that, in a weird way, that's the kind of warning or message that should be attached to this passage of Scripture. Don't try this at home. Because even though if you were paying attention as Sam read the passage there, this is, this is a story of the baptism of Jesus. But there's really nothing in this passage for you and I to emulate. Uh, if you were reading this and thinking, okay, I know where he's going to go. This is where Pastor Matt tells us we should get baptized. It's not where we're going. We, sh- we do get baptized in, in, our, in our church, but not because of what Jesus does here. This is, this is a passage. It's very important, but this is not a go and do likewise sort of passage. When we get to the Sermon on the Mount, We'll have some go and do likewise sermons. But this one, 
Even though it's not something for us to emulate, it's extremely important. It's one of only uh, four events that shows up in all four Gospels, if you ignore stuff that happened right at the cross. Which tells me, no matter what a Gospel writer wanted his main point to be about Jesus, this story, the baptism of Jesus, is important to make a point about who Jesus is. This, this passage, it's, it's the kickoff of Jesus' ministry in a way. Matthew makes sure that this is the first story we read where we meet Jesus as an adult. Like he wants this to be the first thing about adult Jesus that we read. There's a reason for that because this story, it's like a model, a microcosm of Jesus' whole ministry. It's a picture of everything Jesus was and everything he came to do. Up to this point, we, Jesus, we last saw him, he was, a, he was a toddler probably, like a two-year-old. We learned about Jesus when, from the time before he was born. He was a little baby. Last week, Matthew leaped ahead 30 years and told us about John the Baptist. And then today, I love... I don't read the old King James very much, but I did notice how the King James starts verse 13. Uh, it's, uh, then cometh Jesus. I almost made that the title for this week's sermon. Then cometh Jesus. And everything changes from that point on. This morning, even though this is only five verses, there, there's really three parts to these five verses. Jesus is going to come and ask John the Baptist to baptize him. And we're going to see John's objection. Then we're going to see Jesus' explanation to that objection. And then we're going to see the Father's commendation of the Son. So we're going to go through those three things so that we know what happens in the story. And then, really the most important part at the end is, why did this happen? The obvious question this passage brings up is why would Jesus need to get baptized in John the Baptist's baptism? So that's where we're going. Let's start the beginning of this story with John's objection to Jesus's baptism. It comes in Matthew three thirteen and 14. If you weren't here last week, we studied John the Baptist's message and his ministry. Last week, in the first part of Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist, Luke tells us he was Jesus' cousin, and he had this really successful ministry as the forerunner of the Christ, or the herald of the Messiah. Uh, The Old Testament, one of the main points of the Old Testament is God was promising over and over and over again a special king would be born, and that king came to be called the Christ in Greek, or the Messiah in Hebrew. And the Old Testament also promised that before that that Messiah showed up, a forerunner or a herald would come before that king to announce his presence and point people toward him. That's John the Baptist. That's who John the Baptist was. John the Baptist knew that's who he was and what he was doing. And his main ministry or his message was this. He called people away from Jerusalem out into the sticks, into the wilderness, 
where there's no temple, no sacrifices, nothing to hide behind, just people and their sin. And he got people to understand their sinfulness. And he baptized them in the Jordan River for repentance. He was asking people to repent of their sin and repent or change their mind of what they used to do to try and deal with their sin. John was saying the time for animal sacrifices and the Levitical system is over. It wasn't bad. It just pointed to the one who's coming after me, which is Jesus. That was John's ministry. And thousands upon thousands of people come out to hear this, you know, weird dressed guy that eats bugs, hear him preach, and thousands of people get baptized. And then one day, Matthew 3.13, the one he was preparing the way for just sort of steps out of, the, out of the brush or whatever's around there. And here's Jesus, walks up to his cousin, John the Baptist, and he asks people, or he asks John to baptize him. John thinks there's something wrong with this plan. It seems backward to John. It seems, I think, wrong to John. John's objection, we see in in verse 14. Matthew tells us John tried to prevent him. And the tense of that in Greek is a continual thing. He didn't just say one thing. He was really trying to get Jesus to change his mind. And one thing he was saying is, I need to be baptized by you. But you come to me. If I could expand on John's objection for a minute, I could take a little liberty here. This is, this is what I think John's objection is or was. I think maybe John would have said something like this, like, uh, uh, cousin, Jesus, Lord, what do I call you anyway? What should I, what should we, what should I call you? Uh, whoever you are. John knows there's something about Jesus, a little fuzzy in the, new, in the Gospels about when John knew for sure that Jesus was the one, but he knows Jesus doesn't need his baptism. Because I think John would say, Jesus, I, maybe I've been wrong, but let me explain what I've been doing so that I can try to talk you out of being baptized into what I've been doing. I think John said, Jesus, see... I've been baptizing people, encouraging people to get out of Jerusalem, away from the temple, and they come out here, and I've been baptizing sinners, people who know they're sinners, know they need to change, need their sin dealt with. So I don't think you want to be baptized by me. I'm not sure that's the message you want to send to people, because you're going to look like just another sinner if you come out here and let me baptize you, and I know somehow... You're the one that needs to baptize me because John said Jesus would baptize people into the Holy Spirit. John said, that's, that's what I need. I need you to baptize me. This is backward. I think you've got a messaging problem if you come out here and let me baptize you. By the way, this will not be the last time somebody tells Jesus, uh, I don't think that's what you want to do. I mean, I know you're God and everything, but I think I have a better idea for how this should go. We do that all the time still. People did it to Jesus all the time. But that's, uh, that's, John's, that's John's objection. Um, I don't think this is the message that you want to send. It's backward. 
and, and, and John brings up, this is the main question posed by this passage. Why on earth would Jesus want to get baptized? To be completely open with you, I'm not sure I had a good answer to that question until two weeks ago when I studied for this sermon. And before you leave, I want you to be able to answer this question. Why would Jesus want to get baptized in a baptism that was for sinners who needed to repent? I want you to know that before you leave this morning. Not because you'll know more about the Bible and you can impress your friends. They don't care. Um, Because when you can answer that question, you'll know Jesus better than when you came in here. And it's something to do with why he came in the first place. All right, but that's John's objection. It's a reasonable objection. I think I would have had that objection were I a long-haired guy that ate bugs, but I'm not. In verse 15, Jesus, I call it his explanation, but he really doesn't clear things up too much. Here's what he says to John. So Jesus replied to him, let this happen now, for it is right for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then John yielded to him. So John baptized him. Here's basically what Jesus says. Yeah, I know, cuz I know this seems backwards, but it's the right thing to do. You're just going to have to take my word for it. The Father has given me a ministry and has given you a ministry, and we both have a role to play right now. Your role is to baptize me. My role is to get baptized by you. And it's, it's the right thing to do, so just roll with it. And John says, well, okay. And he goes along, he goes along with it. I think it'll make sense to John a few moments later. In the last section of the passage is what I'm calling the Father's commendation. Um, Matthew really skips any description of the actual baptism. He doesn't tell us what John says. He doesn't tell if he holds a hanky over his face. He doesn't tell us if Jesus gets any water in his nose, which is always a risk in baptism by immersion. Let that be a lesson for you in case you want to do that someday. He skips that and just tells us what happens after the baptism takes place. Jesus comes up out of the water and we read, this is NIV, I think, on on this slide. As soon as Jesus was baptized and he came up out of the water, at that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice came from heaven and said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Or this is my beloved son, the one I love. Um, I'm well pleased with him. This could be translated to, um, I, I take great delight in this one. All right, three things happen there. All of them teach us something about Jesus. First thing that happens when Jesus comes up is the, the heaven opened. Okay, what we call our sky open. I want to tell you exactly what this looked like. I want to, but I can't because I have no idea. I really like to know because I bet it was awesome. Our atmosphere, I think, in some way parted and some reality beyond this one was at least temporarily exposed. And through that opening, I believe, the second thing happens, the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus. And what, we're, what we learn by that is there's a closeness. God wants at least John and Jesus. I don't know how many people could see this, but I know John and Jesus saw it. Could see that there's a there's a closeness between 
God the Father and Jesus that, that doesn't exist for everybody. There's a, uh, the barrier that separates God and man is removed, is, is, is wiped away, at least temporarily, for him. And we see all three persons of the Trinity together, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit together. Now, that the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of God descended like a dove, a bird did not fly out of heaven and come and land on Jesus. That's not what this is. It was the Holy Spirit. And something about its descent was bird-like, was dove-like. I think what we're supposed to learn there, um, a couple of things. First, you know, if I asked you what, if I drew you a picture of a dove and said, first of all, if I drew you a picture of a dove, you wouldn't tell, couldn't tell if it was a dove or like a potato. The, but if I, if I showed you a picture of a dove and say, what does this symbolize? What would you say? Peace. The, the default position between God the Father and God the Son is a position of relationship of peace, not enmity, which makes him different than most people. But this peaceful descent, the Holy Spirit comes down, lands on Jesus and remains there. And in in this, God is showing at least John and Jesus, John in particular, so he can tell other people that this is the Messiah. This is the Christ. And here's how I know this is what what was being shown here. I'm going to show you... uh, a verse from the book of Isaiah. So this was written 700 years before Jesus. And it's a, it's a promise about the Messiah. And I got to set it up for you a little bit. The first thing we're going to read, it's going to say something like, a shoot will sprout out of Jesse's stump. And that can be really confusing. So I'm going to tell you what that means. Isaiah wrote to the nation of Judah when it was about to be destroyed, cut off like a tree at the, at the trunk. But God wanted Judah to know, but I haven't abandoned you. Messiah will still come. And that Messiah is called the shoot that that sprouts out of the cut down tree. And that's going to come from Jesse's root. Jesse was King David's dad. Okay, so this is about Messiah. And that's not the important part for this morning, but it would be the confusing part I felt like if I didn't say that. So Isaiah said this, a shoot will grow out of Jesse's rootstock. That's the Messiah. A bud will sprout from his roots. And look what God says about him. The Lord's spirit will rest on him. That just happened at his baptism. A spirit that gives extraordinary wisdom. A spirit that provides the ability to execute plans. A spirit that produces absolute loyalty to the Lord. We just saw, John just saw that happen. Now, that doesn't mean for the first 30 years of Jesus' life, he didn't have the Spirit. This just happened in a way that at least John could see it, so that John would know who Jesus was. In fact, in the Gospel of John, which was not written by John the Baptist, it was written by a different John. In the Gospel of John, John said, this is how I knew for 100% sure that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, the promised King. In John 1.32 and following, John was approached by some people who would become enemies of Jesus, by the way. And John said this, then John testified, I saw the Spirit descending like a dove from heaven, and it remained on Jesus. And I didn't really recognize him at first, but the one who sent me to baptize with water, that's God, 
God had told me that the one on whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining, this is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Then John said, I have both seen and testified that this man is the chosen one of God. All right, and then the last thing that happens, verse 17, out of heaven, God the Father's voice booms. I assume it's booming. I don't know. But he says this, talking about Jesus, this is my son whom I love, or this is my beloved son. With him I am well pleased, or I'm completely delighted in this son. That's a a mixture of a couple of Old Testament passages. We won't go to to both of them. Psalm 2, God calls the Messiah my son. And in Isaiah, uh, God calls the Messiah my servant, whom I uphold or support, support, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. That's the Hebrew. gets translated into Greek in this. This is what God is saying about Jesus at the baptism, something that was written about Messiah 700 years before. This is the one my soul delights in. I have placed my spirit upon him. So what just happened at the, at the baptism is an absolute affirmation of Jesus' identity as the Messiah, the Christ, the King, and the Son of God. And there's one more thing before we go on and talk about why this happened that you have to notice to get why this happened. In what God the Father says about Jesus here, there's some really special information. This is my beloved Son. This is the Son whom I love. And I, my soul is completely delighted. I'm not just pleased. I'm well pleased. I'm super pleased. I'm completely happy with Jesus. I want you to know that Jesus is the only person who ever lived that God could have said that about. This is, this is the Son that I, com- I love. I'm completely satisfied just with who He is and what he is, and all he is. He's completely delightful to the Father. Okay, that's what happened. That's the story. But the question is, why Jesus had to get baptized in this story, and why that stuff happened immediately after he was baptized? Because if it was just about God announcing who the Messiah was or that Jesus was the Messiah, couldn't he have done that anytime? In a few weeks, we'll be studying the Sermon on the Mount, what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Couldn't God have ripped heaven open like at halftime of the sermon and said, and the Spirit comes down and says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Maybe you should wake up and pay attention to him. He could have done that, right? Why did Jesus have to get baptized? And and how does this thing that God says about Jesus, why does it come right after the baptism? First thing I want to tell you for the reason why Jesus got baptized, it was to validate John the Baptist as being the forerunner of the Christ. It's an important part of Jesus' identity. Um, John's message The time for the temple is over. You want to deal with your sin? You go someplace between you and God and look at the one I'm pointing to. That's John's message. And by getting baptized in John's baptism, 
Jesus validates that message. But, and that's really the most common thing that you'll, you'll read. The reason Jesus got baptized is just to validate John's message. But I got a question. That's not, that's just never been good enough for me. Sorry. Because I go, couldn't Jesus have just said, I'm the one he was pointing to? All that stuff he said is correct, it's right, I agree with it, and I'm him. But if you think I'm letting him baptize me, I'm crazy, because I ain't no sinner. That's what I would expect. Why did Jesus get baptized like a sinner? This is the first time that Jesus shows, and in Matthew it's the first thing he does, period, But this is how Jesus shows why he came to earth in the first place. Jesus, very intentionally, as he kicks off his ministry, the first thing he does is goes and goes through something. He goes where only a sinner should go. And he goes through something that only sinners need to go through. And even though he has no sin of his own to confess or repent of, he goes, he goes through what somebody with sin should have gone through. That's the very first thing he does in his ministry. And that's really important. You know, when, and then when Jesus signaled, I'm going to go through what sinners go through. I'm going to start my ministry by going through, by being baptized into a a baptism for sinners. That's when the Father says, that's my boy. That level of obedience is is pleasing. You want to know the, the dirty little secret about that line? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Do you know that's what you need the Father to say about you? That's what you need to hear from God. When you stand before God, do you know what you need to hear? What you need to hear is to hear God say, this this is my daughter, Joni, whom I love, and I'm completely pleased with her. This is my son, Travis. Hey, everybody, this is my son, Travis. I'm completely well-pleased. I'm perfectly satisfied with him. That's what we need to hear from God. Do you know why? Because according to the scriptures, the only people who get into the kingdom of God are people who are so righteous that they're completely pleasing to God. Listen. Jesus is going to say in the sermon of the mount, sermon on the mount, a couple of chapters from now. He's going to say, "Listen, if you want to be good enough to get into heaven, If you want to, if you are basing your standing before God on how well you keep this list of things you shouldn't do and this list of things God says you should do, that's your righteousness. If you're basing God's opinion of you on your righteousness, you need to know something. He's going to say your righteousness has to far exceed the experts in the law and the Pharisees. And when people heard that, they would have gone... Can you you repeat that, please? Yeah, yeah. If you want your standing on God based on how you do with the rules, you've got to be way better than the best people on earth at keeping the rules. 
I have no doubt that everyone in that audience that day, their heart sank. But it's true. Because Jesus knew the scriptures. Psalm 11 says this, For the Lord is righteous, He loves righteousness, and only the upright will stand before God face to face. Psalm 140 says, Only the morally upright will live in God's presence. So here, if you want eternal life, live with God forever, here is, here's one way to do it. Be completely morally upright. You want the bad news? Over and over and over, the Bible makes clear that none of us are. There's no one righteous, not even one. It says that three different places. So, so the problem is what we need to hear from God is here's my beloved son, here's my beloved daughter, that I'm completely delighted in them. That's what we need to hear from God. Because if we don't hear that, we're not getting in. And that's why John was pointing to his cousin Jesus. And that's why Jesus' first bit of his ministry was to go where he didn't deserve to go and get baptized in a baptism that he didn't need. Because it won't be his main baptism. You know, one thing that Jesus called his cross, he called that the baptism with which I need to be baptized, with which I must be baptized. Remember what the word baptism means? It just means to dip, to dunk. In this story, he got baptized into the Jordan River. Um, During the Last Supper, in one of the Gospels, he takes a piece of bread and he dunks it into some sauce or whatever they had on the table. You know what the Greek word is? He baptized that piece of bread. He dumped it. He he dumped it, dunked it, whatever it is. Okay? On the cross, Jesus would be immersed into the sin of the world and the wrath of God. That's the baptism with which he must be baptized, his words. Now, why, why would Jesus, with no sin of his own, want to be baptized into the, the sin of the world and the wrath of God? Paul said that God the Father at the cross made him be sin. He knew no sin. God made him be sin for us. Why? Paul says, so that we might become the what? The righteousness of of God. In Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus was born, um, Isaiah 52 and 53 is this prediction of the sufferings of Christ. And at the end of that section, Isaiah 53, 11, says one day the Messiah, having suffered, he will reflect on his work of suffering and he'll be satisfied when he understands what he has done. My servant, God says, will acquit or will justify, will declare not guilty many because he carried their sins. On the cross, you've heard me say this before, it's the great trade-off. On the cross, Jesus is baptized, immersed in your sin so completely that he became your sin. When God the Father looked at him, he saw every sin you have ever committed. And he suffered and he died. He suffered the punishment your sins deserved. Why? Because now God has no more wrath left for those who would believe that's what Jesus was doing. 
And then here's the trade-off. If your sin went on him, you believe he did that, then God says, I will take Jesus' righteousness and put it on you. You'll be acquitted, not guilty. And do you know what that means? If Jesus was the only person ever who could have come up from his baptism water and had the Father say, this is my son that I'm completely pleased with, the one I love. My soul is 100% delighted in him. If by faith, if you place your faith in what Jesus did at the cross and you get his righteousness, guess what God can say about you? He can say, "This, this is my son, Lonnie. When I look at him, I see the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I'm completely pleased with what he is. This, this is my daughter, Pam. Let me tell you how much I love her. This is, this is one I love. I'm completely, 100% pleased with her. And that is the only way anyone will ever hear that from God the Father. Because only the righteous will live forever before him. And none of us in our own righteousness can get in. He's the only one. When he was baptized into our sin, he gives us the ability to get baptized into his righteousness. Covered with it. Immersed in it. And that day he walked up to the banks of the Jordan River and asked his cousin to baptize him. And and John the Baptist, whoa, 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 whoa. You don't want to come in here. This is for sinners. This is for people who have done stuff wrong and they need to quit and they need to turn. And Jesus said, yeah, that's why I'm here. To go where their sins would take me that I don't have any sin of my own. You know, all those people who got baptized by John the Baptist and they said, you know what? I'm going to try better. I'm so sorry. I'm going to do better next time. Guess what happened as soon as they went home? the sin meter started running all over again. There is is no hope unless his righteousness can get put on my account by faith. You know what Islam teaches about? You ever see pictures on TV of people at the Hajj where Muslims, just thousands and thousands of Muslims take this pilgrimage to Mecca every year. They march around these little places where supposedly Abraham and his kids were. You know what that does, according to the Muslim faith? It makes them like a newborn baby, innocent and sinless. You know for how long? Until they go home? The meter starts again? John's baptism, I'm really sorry, I'm going to do better. It's not going to make anybody righteous. That's why we don't follow the Lord in this baptism. He was showing us what he was going to do for us. Go where our sins placed him, first symbolized in the waters of the Jordan River and then maximized in the wrath of God. Why did Jesus get baptized? Because he was showing you what he wanted to do for you. 
It's the whole reason he came. Before he taught anything, before he did anything, before he did any miracles, there was no water and no wine and healing lepers or, or anything like that. I'm going to go where sin would put me. And you know why he did that? Because he wanted you to hear what he heard from the Father. This is my beloved son, my beloved daughter, in whom I am well pleased, in whom my soul delights. That's the baptism of Jesus. That's the ministry of Jesus. Pray with me. Father God, first, personally, Lord, I just thank you so much for the, for just the study of, of this passage that really was confusing in some ways. God, thank you for just this little picture of why you came to earth, Lord Jesus. To go where sin would put you. To wade not just into the waters of the Jordan River, but to wade out into our sin and our weakness and be completely immersed sin of the world and then rise again to hear the words this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased and I thank you so much Lord that you give us the opportunity to hear those words from your father if we believe that when you went into your ultimate baptism it was to pay for our sin God, I want to pray for my friends and my family and even people I haven't met that are here this morning. Lord, if there is somebody who's trying to stand before you based on their record of righteousness, that they would repent of that and believe on Jesus. If there's somebody who's trying to stand before you simply by being really sorry and trying to do better, I pray that they would repent of that and throw themselves on the mercy of the blood of Jesus shed on a cross and I thank you for that trade off where you took my sin you became my sin that I might become the righteousness of God so that when you look at one who believes in your son you see his righteousness and you can say behold this is my son this is my daughter in whom I am well pleased Thank you for what you did for us and signaling you would do it at your baptism. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and sing with us?